I was looking at my kids' menu. They just sent it home with her yesterday. And I was like, okay, they're going to have mushroom crepes. And yesterday they had white fish with thyme and lemon and spinach with cream. It's a gastronomic experience, which is just really funny. When I think about school lunches back in Indiana, I'm like, what? Pizza? I think it's just really cool. It's a time for them to explore foods, but also they're learning how to be a proper functioning member of French society in the terms of manners and stuff like that. They teach their kids from a very young age. You always say hello to someone. You always kiss, kiss your family. Well, not during COVID. How to say your pleases, your thank yous. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Flourish in the Foreign, the podcast that elevates and affirms the voices and stories of Black women living and thriving abroad. This podcast explores living abroad as a pathway to wellness for Black women and wellness in all aspects, professional, financial, spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical. Welcome back to the show. And if you're new, hey, I'm Christine. I'm a Black American woman and business strategist thriving here in Barcelona. And I'm the host and creator, producer, and everythinger of this here podcast. This podcast is a labor of love, but labor nonetheless. And that's why I'm asking you to please support this podcast. There are several ways for you to support Flourish in the Foreign. One, become a Patreon supporter of this podcast. You can do so by going to www.com patreon.com slash flourish foreign and thank you to all of my patreon supporters i appreciate y'all we have eight patreon supporters in total right now and once we get to 10 i will be dropping a second episode of this podcast so two episodes in the same week if you have been on the fence you're thinking about becoming a patreon supporter definitely do so. Some of the benefits of being a Patreon supporter is bonus episodes and the replays to the live Q&A sessions that I just started conducting with the Flourish in the Foreign podcast guests. So this past Sunday, I had a fantastic no stretch, a fantastic conversation with Adelia. She was episode four, Country Shopping around the world, Honduras, Kuwait, Mexico, China, and now she's back in Mexico. We talked about her not knowing if she's going to be able to leave China this summer because of COVID. We talked about trying to find just the best apartment for her in Mexico City, which was a little bit of a struggle. And also her philosophy on FU money and financial wellness for all Black women, but especially for Black women trying to live and thrive abroad. And we actually touched on something that had come up in some of my previous recordings with guests, some episodes that haven't gone live yet, and the thing about mom guilt. And if she felt mom guilt because she is a mother for living abroad and doing her own thing. And let me tell you, the short answer is no. And she really, when I tell you she gave a sermon about that, 
she did. And I think everybody needs to check it out. If you want to catch that replay, right now it's open to all of the Patreon supporters. In the future, the live Q&A replays will be exclusive to Tier 3 Patreon supporters. I also wanted to remind you all that we have another live Q&A this Sunday with a past podcast guest. I will be chatting with Jackie O, yes, digital slow mad crisscrossing around the world with her cute and adorable baby Ruth. If you want to catch that session, that live Q&A session, which is open to the entire Flourish in the Foreign audience, be sure to sign up with the Flourish in the Foreign community. The link is also in the bio. You'll definitely want to catch that and I'll send out the link to that a little bit later this week. So definitely become a Patreon supporter today. The second way you can support Flourish in the Foreign is by Cash App. You can cash app this podcast at dollar sign flourish foreign and cash app is basically a tip jar. If you listen to an episode that you just really resonated with and you really enjoyed, you can go ahead and slip the podcast a couple of bucks just like that. And the podcast actually got its first tip this week. So shout out to Carla. Thank you so much for tipping the podcast. I appreciate that. And so if you are looking to support the podcast and maybe you don't want to commit to being a Patreon supporter, definitely tip the podcast, whatever you would like and everything and everything is deeply, deeply appreciated. The third way you can support the podcast is by placing an ad within the podcast or sponsoring an entire episode of this podcast. If you have a business or service or perhaps an organization that's in alignment with this podcast that wants to get in front of this audience of just fantastic, highly ambitious and international black women, go ahead to the Flourish in the Foreign website, www.flourishintheforeign.com slash contact and drop me a line and we can discuss. I'll send you the media kit and we can chat about how we can collaborate. The fourth way you can support this podcast is by sharing this podcast with all of your friends via social media. If you hear an episode that you really enjoy, be sure to screenshot, post it on IG stories or your grid or on Facebook or Twitter and tell your friends and tell your audience why you enjoy the podcast. It is so important because, you know, word of mouth recommendations are just so much more powerful than any kind of marketing I could possibly do. So if you're enjoying this podcast, please help me out and help out your friends too. And let them know what you're listening to and why you enjoy Flourish in the Foreign. Be sure to tag the podcast at Flourish Foreign across all social media. That's Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. The fifth way you can support Flourish in the Foreign is by giving the podcast five stars and leaving a review. I really, really love reading the reviews, y'all. It is so humbling and so heartwarming to read the reviews you have left for this podcast. And it gives me so much motivation to just keep on going. So please, if you are loving the podcast, be sure to rate the podcast five stars and leave a review. 
I am super excited to see that so many of you all have signed up for the Exodus Summit, which starts this week on Monday. Exodus Summit is a sabbatical summit for Black women travelers, and it is all about supporting and educating Black women to go abroad. And as I think all of you know, there are so many different ways to move abroad, travel abroad, and perhaps you are looking for a way to kind of test the waters, and you're interested in learning more about sabbaticals and how a sabbatical can not only give you the time and space to reflect and take some stock to in, and take stock of your life, but also can be the launching pad for your life abroad. There will be over 30 Black women speakers telling you all about their personal sabbatical journeys, how to do it, and everything in between. They're going to be talking about logistics, education, traveling with children, traveling with a disability, everything. If, if you have a question, they definitely have an answer for you. So make sure you are attending the Talks of Exodus Summit. If you have not signed up yet, there is still time. Be sure to register with the link in the Flourish in the Foreign bio across all social media channels. It's the same link. It'll take you to the same sign up page and it is completely free. The summit is from September 21st to September 27th and you have complete free access to all the recordings and the speakers up until September 30th. There is a summit attendee Facebook group so you definitely want to join that and you can purchase the entire talks. You can have them on demand for your exclusive use for the next two years. And it actually also includes an audio only version so you can listen to the talks like a podcast. There are so many amazing courses and discounts on offer and freebies. So you definitely want to go ahead and check out Exodus Summit, even if you want to just check it out in the free version. But if you want to go ahead and purchase the entire perk pack, you are going to be overwhelmed with the value. It is serious. It is serious. So again, Please be sure to use the Flourish in the Foreign link located on the website in the links in all of our social media bios. Okay, that is it for the support portion of this show. Now on to the next story. Today's story features... A personal favorite. I'm a fan. I'm actually a really big fan of our next guest. Her name is Jessie and she is a fantastic artist and she is a fantastic businesswoman too. I first encountered her through her Instagram page and her beautiful artwork that is just so my vibe. So when I learned that she is American and she moved to France to live with her husband, I knew I wanted her on the show. Her journey to France and her journey of building her business is just remarkable. But I'm going to let her tell you all about it. My name is Jessica Roulet and I live in Strasbourg, France. I'm from Evansville, Indiana. 
and I moved abroad at age, oh goodness, 23. I grew up in Southern Indiana and my mother, she's a microbiologist. She was a microbiologist for a very large international company. And she actually traveled all the time when I was a kid. So Oh my goodness. I think once a month she was either in Mexico or the Philippines or in Japan. And I thought it was normal for a woman to travel. Um, just seeing that my whole life. And even there would be times where my dad, he would have us for like a month. My mom would be in Asia just working and killing it. And so I think just seeing that from such a young age already opened the world to me knowing like, oh, women travel alone and it's okay. For undergrad, I attended the University of Southern Indiana, which was in my hometown of Evansville, Indiana. I wanted to major in art, but my parents were like, no, girl, you can't get a job in art. You need to do something that's still kind of artsy, but business focused. I went for communications and advertising. And while I was there, it was wonderful. They had a, a study abroad program and I was like, okay. I had always, like I said, seen my mother traveling all over the world. I was like, yeah, I'm going to go somewhere. And I found a study abroad program in Florence, Italy. I was in Italy as a part of my art minor and I studied jewelry. I made jewelry with an amazing Brazilian teacher. She was awesome. Living in Florence, I think for me, first off, it was my first time abroad. Just being alone and being just like a girl from Indiana getting on an airplane by herself for the first time flying abroad. I was freaking out, but I had always just romanticized the idea of going to Italy and living it up. And when I got there, I think what most surprised me was how how kind the people were and how comfortable I felt very quickly. Honestly, I would say that I felt much more comfortable in Italy right away as opposed to how I did in France. And I think that could also be because I was a student and I was in a program and everything was kind of structured for me to fall into life quickly and as easily as possible. I was just surprised at how embraced I was as a woman of color. I, I had been growing up in Indiana and living in Indiana even through the undergrad years, and especially during the Obama election, I had felt very just hesitant. I didn't want to try to stand out too much because of how things were back home. And so I was just really surprised at how quickly I was just embraced. And people were like, your skin is beautiful. You are beautiful. And I was just like, wow, this doesn't happen back home. And I, I would say that I just felt very welcome there. And that was everything. I was interested to know what Jessie did after she graduated from undergrad. I had completed my undergrad degree at the University of Southern Indiana, and uh, I had interned at Betsy Johnson, and I still had felt I hadn't grasped the art thing because I had originally wanted to be an art major. So after completing my degree in Indiana, I was like, okay, I did what my parents wanted me to do, and I'm going to push the art thing just a little bit. I found a program in San Francisco where it was a master's of fine art, which you absolutely do not need to be an art director in advertising, but I just kind of wanted to get into a bigger market and get an education that was more connected to a thriving city's market. San Francisco is like culturally the opposite of Southern Indiana. And it's a city that's alive with creativity. There's just so much going on. And I just wanted to get in the middle of that. And I wanted to learn 
from teachers who were currently working in that market. I went to the Academy of Art University in San Francisco, and it was just, it was such a great program. It was about, I think, two years. And I was able to not only like live in downtown San Francisco, but I got to meet people from all over the world. And they just really became my family. And I learned so much just to kind of break out of the expectations of sameness that you kind of are brought up with in the Midwest. And our focus was not individualism, but what do you have inside of you Uh, to bring to the world creatively? And how can you tell your creative story? I really learned a lot about story, creativity, and expression, which was amazing for me. So Jesse is living it up in San Francisco, really thriving professionally. And I was just curious to know, what was her journey to France like? France was a very unexpected part of my story. I had never taken French in school. I took Spanish, but I had never imagined even visiting France. It just wasn't on my radar. So I had randomly met my husband online one day back in uh, 2010. And we were just kind of talking and kept in contact. He would teach me French. I would teach him English. It really just started off as a friendship. And he came to visit me in San Francisco And honestly, it's crazy. We didn't even have a conversation. We were just together. (laughs) And so it was just so crazy to just seamlessly fall in line with someone so effortlessly. And so he was like, hey, do you want to come visit me in France? And I was like, absolutely. And I'm pretty sure the first night I was in Paris, we walked across the whole city. And that kind of became our thing. That's what we love to do is just walking across Paris at night and just looking at everything and laughing and talking and taking pictures. That's our thing. The more and more I would visit him and meet his family, uh, he was living in Strasbourg at the time. He has his extended family in Brittany, which is an amazing region of France. Um, So just to be able to see all different parts of France, I started just falling absolutely in love with the culture. I wanted to know, how did Jesse decide to leave the United States and move to France? It's funny because whenever I was living in San Francisco, I thought that was it. I was, I am still even so absolutely in love with that city. And it had just brought so much out of me creatively. And I couldn't imagine not living there. I was like, oh, I'm going to buy a house here. I'm going to live here forever. My now husband, Pierre, Of course, his name is Pierre. They're all Pierre, right? He had um, gotten a visa and he was working as a pastry chef at one of San Francisco's most popular uh, restaurants. And his visa was up and he was like, hey, look, my visa's up. Would you be interested in moving back to France with me? I really took some time to think about it. I really struggled with it because I had just started off in my art director career and I was getting some traction with my job and moving up the ranks and working on clients like the 49ers and LinkedIn, Monterey Bay Aquarium. And I was like, I'm doing things. I'm working my way up there. And I really just had to take a moment and I was like, okay, do I want this relationship to move forward? Absolutely. Can I see myself living life without him? No. And moving to Paris, what a crazy adventure. I would be crazy not to at least try. And that's really what made the decision for me. I think we had been together 
three or four years at that point. And I was like, you know what? I love him. He loves me. Let's go. And that's what really helped me make that decision. I asked Jesse to tell me about her leaving San Francisco and leaving the United States and her journey to Paris. And what was it like when she landed in Paris, not to visit, but to live? I just remember leaving San Francisco. My friends threw a huge party for me on a boat. We went under the Golden Gate Bridge. It was amazing. And I felt the love and I felt the the support. Like, you got this, go girl, have so much fun. I had a really great send off. Um, I remember sitting in the airplane, looking out at the bay and being like, oh my gosh, I'm not coming back. I flew to Chicago to visit my brother on my way out and then flew to Boston to see my parents. And it was just kind of a really nice way to leave. It's kind of like stopping by and seeing my people. And so they were like, you got this. We are so happy for you. Gosh, I'm getting even like a little emotional thinking about it because I've actually never really thought about this. But I remember my dad dropping me off at the airport at Boston Logan. And he was just like, I'm proud of you. And we'll see you soon. Like, call us when you get there. And I was just like, okay. It was an Air Canada flight. And the man sitting next to me, I don't know what happened. I think he ate the dinner and then he looked over at me and he was like, I don't feel so well. And then he kind of started like convulsing and I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And then he passed out. And so I was calling the flight attendants. I was like, help, help. And the flight attendants took forever to come. They finally came and he was like still knocked out. And I was just like, I don't, I don't know what to do here. And they had to call a doctor and then they were able to wake him up. He went to the bathroom. He was gone for like an hour. He came back. He passed out again. I felt like I was, I was kind of had to make sure this man was okay. It was a a lot going on, but, but yeah, he was going to go visit, I think his mail order bride or something. It was, it was funny. He was interesting. I was like, can I just rest? I remember when we were landing in Paris, it was raining. It was early morning and I kind of was able to romanticize the experience a little bit just because it was a moment. And I remember when I left the airport, the rain smelled sweet almost. And just that sensory experience, I was like, you're going to be okay. And then, of course, there was my fiance waiting for me. It was great. I wanted to know what was Jesse's first year in France like? The first year in France, that that was an experience, I would say. I think for the first, at least the first two, three months or so, I had, I felt very, very lost in the sense where I was kind of like, what have I done? I, I left my job. Um, I don't speak the language here. I think I had taken eight weeks of French before leaving San Francisco. I was like, I really don't speak the language. I, I really just felt very unconfident. I was afraid to go to the pharmacy or the post office and try to speak French. I don't know why. I was just so intimidated. And it really just took some soul searching and I had to make the decision to be like, no, I'm not going to let this fear overtake everything. And I was just like, take your moment. It's okay to feel all the feelings. I cried a lot. I missed my family. And I I really was just like, no, I'm going to figure this out and it will be okay. And so I had reached out to a girl who I had interned with in New York with Betsy Johnson and there was a French girl there. I was like, okay, I know at least one person in Paris. Let me write her 
and see if she remembers me and would like to get a drink. And she was like, oh my gosh, Jess, that's amazing. Like, let's have a drink. And she showed me around her favorite neighborhood, cool spots to go to. And she introduced me to her group of friends. That was so, so crucial and so great because I had things to do on weekends and on holidays when they would all get together and have parties. They would invite me and they all spoke English, which was good just to start to feel comfortable with people. That from like a social standpoint, that was great. My husband, he worked a lot. As a pastry chef, when you work restaurant hours, you're kind of just always at work. And it was nice to have um, people to hang out with and see while he was at work. I asked Jesse to describe to me the process of landing a job in Paris. I had been submitting my resume everywhere, but no one was biting. I didn't have the language. Job hunting, it wasn't easy. Often they might see, oh, American. Oh, like, do they, can they even work in France? There was that. It was, it took a little bit to find a job. I did get a job after being in France for one year. And It was an art director job in an ad agency. I think often as Americans, we kind of put our identity in our work. Beforehand, I had been freelancing around, trying to find jobs, not feeling very stable. And I think being able to land a full-time job, maybe six months into that is when I really started to feel like, okay, I've arrived because that's when the French clicked. The first year, I hadn't really had to speak French. Just, you know, little things like at the grocery store, just you start to memorize things to say in certain situations. But once I started working in that agency, it's survival and you have to learn French because even though my creative director, he was married to a British woman, he spoke fluent English to survive. If I want to know what um, my clients are saying to me, like I, I remember we had Domino's Pizza France as a client and I would be sitting with their head people talking to me as an art director, giving feedback, and I needed to be able to understand what they were saying, what their asks are, and to be able to execute it. It was like a boot camp, like a language boot camp in a way. And it was great. I think that that's once that clicked, that's when I really felt like, okay, I got this. Like this is, I'm good here. I'm in France and I'm a functioning member of society. I was curious to know what the work culture differences were between San Francisco and Paris. Girl? Okay. So I came from San Francisco where my agency it was a small agency. It was in a firehouse. It was super cool. We had, you know, activities we did together. It was very California agency culturally. And then I went to this agency in in France and it was just such a stark difference. I felt that it was um, competitive. There were some toxic uh, personalities and it was kind of as if it was allowed to happen. So in America, there's a lot of passive aggressiveness. Let's say you don't your coworker, you deal with it. You might do something passive aggressively to let them know you don't like them, but you're not outwardly rude and there's a respectful way to be at work. And I felt at this agency, and I I don't even want to say that this is how French agencies are. I think it was really just a specific one, but I felt like everything was more direct, which is good. I like directness, but at times it was just too much. And yeah, I was like, this is not my, this is not my vibe. A lot of yelling in French at each other. And and I think something else that was strange is like they would kind of yell in French, but then they would have lunch together. 
And I'm like, you guys were literally just like screaming at each other 10 minutes ago. And now you're like, let's all have lunch together. I just didn't, I didn't get it. But but the owner was amazing, the owner of the agency, and he really listened to me because they were like, oh, okay, you're coming from America. Like, we want to know what your expectations are. We want to make sure that you feel you are growing because we know that maybe you have expectations of being able to do certain things. And so they were really able to work with me in that. And I really appreciated that. I had to ask Jesse to tell me the origin story of her wildly successful brand, Etta V. I think I worked there for a year and a half, about a year and a half. And I had left because while I was working there, I had opened a shop on Etsy where I was selling artwork and art prints. And during my lunch breaks, I would go and ship what I needed to ship and then go back to work. And so I would come home from work in the evenings and I would try to think of new prints that I can put in my Etsy shop. And then on the weekends, I was packing and shipping. And it was like, it was really like working all the time. And it was also cool because while I was at work, if my husband was at home, he would get, you know, my orders printed for me. It was really cool. That's kind of a little side hustle that I started while I was working there. And it turned into my full-time job. It got to the point where I was like, look, I'm not enjoying this anymore. I'm not enjoying this working at an ad agency anymore. And I really just wanted to be my own boss and do my own thing. And really, I had felt I had so many ideas that needed to just come out and I needed to honor that feeling that I was having. I saved up money, I think about like four to six months worth and to cover expenses and stuff. And I was like, okay, like, I'm just going to give this a real go and focus on my Etsy shop in Edevy, which does sound crazy. But honestly, it wasn't such a crazy jump to make just because the biggest jump I made was moving to France in the first place. And when you leave the US rat race, or like the work structure that is put in front of us, and you break that already by moving abroad, I was like, I'm abroad. And I shouldn't feel miserable. I already did the hard part. Why not just try? That was, that's what helped me leave and start my own business. And of course, I had to know, where did she get the name Etta V? While I was living in San Francisco, before I moved to France and opened my Etsy shop for art, remember I had taken that uh, study abroad class in jewelry. While I was living in San Francisco, I opened a jewelry shop on Etsy. And it was something for me to do to make with my hands again, because I was just working in Photoshop all day long and going crazy. And I was like, I just need to make something with my hands. I started making jewelry. And how it all got started is that my grandfather, he um, had found a bag full of my grandma's old vintage jewelry, which a lot of it was broken. And he was like, do you want this? And I was like, yeah, that's amazing. And I took it and I started pulling it all apart and making new bracelets for myself that I could wear in the modern day and got the idea to open a shop where I took old broken vintage jewelry and made something new with it. The name Etta V comes from my two grandmothers, Charles Etta 
and Jamie V. And I just put their names together. I asked Jessie to tell me how her business had evolved from Etsy shop to being in major retailers. My business, how it evolved, it's, I started off on Etsy selling art prints. And uh, little by little, I started adding hand-painted canvases. Now, I've been doing art my whole life. I started art classes oof, when I was maybe four it's just always been a hobby of mine. And I knew that I was like, okay, well, I, I would like to get out of art prints and more into fine art. And that was just the natural progression of my business. With Instagram being a thing, it was great to be able to kind of start to figure out how I could use that to grow my business. My sister-in-law, she used to be a big blogger in France back in the day. And she taught me how to use Instagram for my business. She was like, listen, it's the same thing. She was like, this is what you need to do. This is like who you need to reach out to. This is how la la la. And she really was just so important in helping me learn how to hone my social media skills. And little by little, I started getting a following. I started selling more and more artwork. I got off of Etsy, opened my own web store. And after a couple of years, my artwork got picked up by a store. I think it was the first one was TJ Maxx. And it was just great just to be able to start licensing my artwork. I got picked up by art agents. And we started to collaborate with a whole, whole bunch of amazing clients and manufacturers and retailers. And it's funny because I feel like I went from working on the kitchen table while on a part-time job to really making this a brand. I turned my art from just artwork into a brand. And it was, it was such a cool path to travel and um, managing it even today. It's a lot. It's a lot of work. I'm always learning and growing and trying to figure out how I can best run my business. And I I think what is most important is really having a vision of where you want it to go. I would say that where I am today is the vision that I had maybe four years ago. And the first year out of my full-time job was very rocky. It was just trying everything, just slinging mud and seeing what sticks. And I think it's true. You kind of do have to go through it to find your groove. And while you're going through it, you're really just training yourself to be even more agile for when it all clicks together. I asked Jessie to tell me how she manages her business tax obligations living in France. It's something I had always been just trying to figure out. From the get-go, my business is registered as an LLC in the U.S. And now I am actually working with an accountant in France And the proper way that I should be doing it is that my business is a French company and I pay taxes in France first. And then when it's time to do taxes in the U.S., anything that is over a certain amount, I have to pay in the U.S. That's where that is at the moment. I asked Jesse to tell me what has it been like being in an intercultural marriage and how she has adjusted from living in California in her home country with her husband to moving to France and being in his home country. I think that him being in America first was just very important because he 
he knows how it feels to live in another country where you're not from. He was able to experience that himself firsthand, like, okay, I'm in another country, my family's so far away, I don't know anyone, and I'm just like depending on this person to help me make it through. And I think that just him having that experience was so important that whenever I moved over and was having my little crisis at the beginning, he was able to, he understood and he stood by and he was able to just really help facilitate that and help me through it because he knew exactly what I was going through. I think just in general, being in an intercultural relationship is that you're always going to be learning something about each other. We've been together 10 years now, and we haven't even gotten to a point where we truly feel we 100% understand each other. We're always still learning about each other's life experiences. The better I speak French, the more I can even understand subtleties and what he's saying. And so it's just always learning. And I think that's something that just keeps me so engaged with our relationship is that it's just like, I've never feel I can 100% know him. It's been great living in France just to get to know his family because I had viewed them as one way, maybe living in the US, but actually being here and speaking French, I have gotten to know them so well. And that helps me understand him so much better. I asked Jesse to tell me what was it like being pregnant in France and for her impressions of the French healthcare system. When I found out I was pregnant, I was like, wow, because I kind of had a little freak out moment at the beginning because I was like, oh, like, will I be able to speak English in the delivery room? Will they just be speaking to me in French while I am in an altered state of just trying to give birth? And so those were a lot of questions that were running through my mind whenever I first found out I was pregnant. It was hard being away from family. My grandfather, actually, he passed away while I was pregnant and I flew home and I did get to see my family and they got to see me pregnant and they were just like, wow. It was hard though, just being away because I had a complicated pregnancy. I have fibroid tumors, which makes it really difficult sometimes to have a non-high risk pregnancy. And I wasn't able to be as mobile as I wanted to be. I couldn't run all over Paris. I couldn't walk up and down the metro stairs as much as I wanted. It, It was a little hard being far away and going through this. But what I did find is that the French healthcare system, I really was just amazed at how much they were following me. I didn't have anything in mind, but I was just so surprised at like, oh, like, We see that there is, you may have a high risk pregnancy. Like, let's do some tests. Let's do this. Let's do that. Like, we need you in next week. Like, I was just always going in and they were just following my pregnancy to a T. And I was just very surprised by that. And what I learned is like, even if you're not high pregnancy, that they do have you coming in to the hospital where you're going to be giving birth. They have you coming in right away each month. They're just really following and just on it. So I do know about the statistic in the US where black women, we receive less proper healthcare, especially while pregnant. That was something that was really concerning me. And I had been nervous about it. I was like, gosh, I really hope I receive proper health care and pregnancy care as a black woman. But I honestly, I felt overly taken care of. And that really just gave me confidence to finish out the pregnancy strong and uh, confidence really to go into that delivery room when it was time. I was curious to learn more about French childcare culture. Just having a baby in France, it was very interesting learning from French people just even have a way of doing things. And 
a, a way of getting the children to sleep at night and just a way of doing everything. It was funny. I had read Bringing Up Baby, which was written by an American author. And I was reading, I was like, oh, okay, okay, wow. But my husband read it. He was like, it's obvious. It's so obvious. Of course, if your kid's throwing a tantrum, you just walk away. You don't try to reason with the child. And then the child will just realize and then like follow you. I've been really happy with the French childcare system and the creches. Creche is their daycares and stuff before the kid can go to school. My kid actually started school. She started maternelle which some people call it preschool, but what I see what they're learning, it's the same thing that we learn in kindergarten in the US. And so I was like, okay, I really think it's just kindergarten. (laughs) But they start at the age of three here in France. It's quite young. And what a lot of French people love about it is that you want your kid to eat at school in the canteen, in the cafeteria, because they get to discover lots of different kinds of food and build out their palates. So France, it's they're into food, they're into gastronomie. And I was looking at my kids menu, they just sent it home with her and I was looking through it. And I was like, okay, they're gonna have mushroom crepes. And yesterday, they had white fish with thyme and lemon and like, spinach with cream. It's truly a gastronomic experience, which is just really funny. When I think about school lunches back in Indiana, what? Pizza. It's. I think it's just really cool. It's a time for them to explore foods, but they're learning how to be a proper functioning member of French society in the terms of manners and stuff like that. They teach their kids from a very young age. You always say hello to someone. You always kiss, kiss your family. Well, not during COVID. And how to say your pleases your thank yous. Yeah, I would say a lot of the younger learning is a lot based in manners. I asked Jessie how she incorporates her Black American culture in her daughter's life. I've FaceTimed with my parents since she was born, maybe, if not every day, every other day. I really think it's important that she knows who her family is, where she comes from, She knows that she's Black. She says it all the time. I feel like that's been my job for her like very young formative years to be that person to make sure she knows who she is, that she is Black and what that means. And if COVID weren't a thing, I would have her with my family in Memphis. She has a little cousin that's the same age as her and we would just be hanging out with them. But since we can't be with them, in the meantime, we have some books over here that we read at night, one especially that talks about black hair. And there's a show she loves so much on Netflix called Motown Magic. And it's absolutely just a part of our everyday life. And if I notice she says something like, oh, I want my hair to be this way. Or if she says something where I'm kind of like, it's questionable, then I feel like I need to make sure that we get her back on track. But honestly, for the most part, I think just our everyday life of just making sure she's connected to her Black side of the family, her Black culture, her English language. I asked Jessie to describe her experience as a Black American woman in France. I don't even know, like, know what I thought moving to France in terms of like how I would be treated or experiences I would have as a Black woman. But what I came to understand very quickly was that there is a difference being a Black American woman in France and a Black French woman. Like, let's say French woman, you probably have ancestry in Africa, like Senegal or 
um, Mali or um, anywhere where France has colonized like the islands and stuff. And I did start to understand very quickly that there is a difference and a privilege that is given to Black American women. I, I was able just to identify that very early on. Right when I had first moved to France, you have a visa and you need to go to the immigration center and you need to like submit something that you can apply for your titre séjour, which is your residency card. And I was like, I was a couple days late showing up and turning in my paperwork just because I'm the worst procrastinator in the world. And I remember I was waiting in line behind a black African man and he was late turning in his paperwork too. I couldn't understand this. My husband could understand it. And he was turning in his paperwork and the white French man behind the you know counter was like, no, no, get out of here late. Like, sorry, unacceptable. No. And so then I was so scared. I was like, it's my turn. And then I get up to the front and he was like, I was like, I'm sorry, I'm a couple days late. And he was like, oh, are you American? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, oh, okay. And he was like looking at my paperwork. He's like, oh, okay, that's fine. Here you go. I was just like, oh, what is this? What is this? That was my first instance of recognizing that. Something else that would also happen is like, let's say I would go to the post office. And before I opened my mouth, they would kind of like look at me just like, oh, like, hi, maybe even just unimpressed scowl look. And I was just like, okay, whatever. And then I would start to speak in broken French and they'd be like, oh, are you American? And then all of a sudden they were smiling and they were so nice to me. And that was my experience over and over and over again. And it pissed me off. And it got to the point where I did recognize that I was like, okay, this is a thing. I've encountered people who are racist, but they're like, but you're American. It's different. I'm like, no, let's have a talk about this. And I do find myself getting into conversations where people are telling me that I'm not the same kind of black as somebody else. And I have those conversations because I think it's important to teach like, hey, black is black. And if you're not giving them a chance, but giving me a chance, not cool. And we have those discussions. I was interested in why Jessie and her husband decided to move to Strasbourg and what life was like in Strasbourg. My first time visiting France ever, I visited Paris and then I went directly to Strasbourg afterwards. And... I just remember coming here for the first time and I was like, oh, like, it's so cute. Like that was my first thought. It was kind of like Paris is like the New York and then Strasbourg was so cute. And I was just like, okay, it just, the vibe was laid back and they're known for their Christmas markets. That's what they're famous for. Christmas is their season. Um, they're known for having the the biggest markets in France and they get an influx of tourists around that time. But I had never heard about it before visiting. This is where my husband grew up. We have family here, the grandparents of my kid and aunts and uncles and stuff. It was just really nice to get to know the city through having family here. It's quite a small city, very bikeable, which I love. There's not even a metro. There's a tram, which is above ground. It's slow moving above ground situation. And you can traverse the whole city in like 20 minutes or something. While we were living in Paris, it was always just kind of a nice escape to visit to. Around the holidays, we would come a couple times a year and just walk around. It's just very charming. But I never thought I would live here. I don't know why. I'd always thought we would move back to the U.S. So 
pretty much what happened was we had a toddler in Paris and I was not feeling it. I was like, the apartments are too small. The, the There's too much public transportation. I was just exhausted and I couldn't keep up a healthy lifestyle with a toddler in Paris. And this is just me speaking. People do it all the time. I have many friends who have kids in Paris and they make it work and they're killing it. So, but for me personally, with my energy level, that was not my thing anymore. And so we were like, why don't we try Strasbourg? Because we were looking at all kinds of French cities and we were just like, well, let's try Strasbourg. And we started looking and a Michelin star restaurant that he had loved his whole life and looked up to his whole life, they were looking for a pastry chef. And we were like, wait, that's a sign. He applied, he got the job, we moved. And I think our apartment's like twice the size it was in Paris and we're paying less than we were in Paris. And it's so much light and you know, because we don't have like buildings across from us and we bike everywhere. And it has just been such a positive change for us, even for our kid who can now see her grandparents weekly. And just knowing that we have help there when we need it, it just has really changed not only my mental health, but also our relationship and what our plans were for the future. So. I asked Jessie if she believed that American politics still affected her day-to-day life in France. Girl, I can't even go see my parents because of Donald Trump. A lot of people need to realize the reason why Americans abroad still care about U.S. politics is that U.S. politics doesn't just affect people living in the U.S. It affects the whole world. And I still pay taxes in the U.S., so we still get a say. But I I really feel like it definitely affects everything because of COVID and the lack of leadership in the U.S. A lot of the news is U.S.-centered, but they don't realize that outside of the U.S., we know what's going on over there. It's because they center the whole world. We get the news of everywhere over here. Whereas in the US, they only know what's going on in the US. I think they think that maybe like it's the same in other countries, but no, we know what's going on over there and we can see how it's directly affecting the rest of the world. I asked Jessie about the French response to COVID-19 and her impressions of the French response. A month before we went into confinement, I was in Atlanta doing the Atlanta gift show with Tens of thousands of people. And many of those people had just been traveling to Asia to get products manufactured and all that stuff. But I think that the the French response, pretty much the president was like, this week, you guys need to like not do this and this and this. And we didn't listen. And he was like, okay, I'm giving you one more chance. Follow the rules. No one listened. And he put us in confinement. And honestly, I was terrified because I I believe it was a Tuesday at noon that we went into confinement and I was just like what does it mean like blah 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 but then once we were in it I I think it was just really great because the the government really explained it to us whenever he was on the tv to talk the whole country listened because he wasn't just showing up all the time he was like This is when I'm speaking. And when I'm speaking, I'm going to say something important. You knew to watch the TV. He really took the time to explain to the country, like, this is what we're, this is like what we're doing. And this is why we're going to do it. And like, here's what we're going to do. And I was like, okay, I understand. Like, we need to protect the vulnerable. We need to like slow it down. I get it. You explained it to me. And so I think that really helped with 
being on lockdown. And so in France, I think we were locked down for about two months and it, it was tricky at first, but I think that it was obviously definitely necessary. And I absolutely approve of what the government did here because I was able to leave my house at the beginning of the summer. And I actually was just in Spain a couple of weeks ago. I've been able to do things. Granted, we're wearing our masks. We have rules that we follow. But pretty much when we came out of our confinement, the government was like, look, you guys are free to leave now. Um, Here are your rules. And if the cases get above a certain amount, you're going back in confinement, which I don't think they're actually going to do. But they, they made it clear to us we're all responsible to do our part for the greater good. And I, I definitely appreciate that. I asked Jesse to give all of you some advice about starting a business abroad. If you're, if you're abroad and wanting to start a business, I would say the most important thing to do First and foremost is to make sure that you are set up to do so. That means making sure you have funds and savings. Let's say you have a side hustle that you want to get going, or even if it's any kind of creative freelancing business or something that, make sure that first and foremost, you have the funds or a way to fund your life while you are pursuing this. I would say that's first. And then second is to have a plan. Know where you want to end up. In my case, I was like, okay, I know that I want to have my artwork sold in Target. That was my end goal. Then once you have your end goal, you can work backwards. I was like, okay, I want my artwork to be sold in Target. How do I do that from France? And you kind of start to figure out all of the steps you need to take in between your end goal and where you're starting. And that becomes your pathway of each little step to get to where you're going. And I think it's just take it day by day. You're in a different country. You're abroad. Don't feel pressured to have all the answers right away. You are out of the rat race. You are in another country. You make your own rules. And a lot of it is mindset. And a lot of it is just having grace with yourself, knowing that you're not going to have all the answers. It's going to be a step-by-step process. I asked Jesse to give you all some advice about moving abroad. I think it's a good idea to just do a couple of trips. And obviously not at the moment, but once everything opens back up and if you're curious about moving abroad, kind of just try to figure out which countries you want to live in, um, which countries speak to you culturally. That's I think, is a really very, very important aspect of it all. And because honestly, if I were even to like, think about it, I always wanted to live in London. Like I said, France was not on my radar, but I actually fit in pretty well here now that I'm here. So I think just trying a couple of visiting different cities and if people who live there try having a drink with someone or a coffee or tea with someone who is a local and you can really just talk to. But honestly, I think the best way to truly know is to do it. You can do as much research and preparation as you want to, but action is the best way to actually know. And give yourself at least a year to figure out your life and get settled wherever you are. Be comfortable with being uncomfortable and thrive in it. When you're comfortable with being uncomfortable, nothing can really knock you off your horse. I mean, unless something, you know, really big happens. But in general, you start to realize all the small things are in fact just small things. I asked Jessie about her definition and concept of wellness 
and how living in France had influenced that concept and practice of wellness. I would say there are lots of different aspects to this. Even going back to what I was speaking about earlier about how I feel I'm treated as a Black woman in France, I do feel I am treated better here than I am in the U.S. And I'm not talking about how I'm treated compared to others in France. I'm just saying, like, as an American woman, I recognize that I am treated better in France. And to me, that makes me feel free in a way versus how I felt in Southern Indiana. Being here mentally, I feel like I'm just free, like black girl magic. I can do what I want. I'm, I'm, I'm able to just be even um, from a natural hair standpoint. And I'm not talking about seeking approval from them, but it has been just really lovely for French people to be like, wow, why don't you wear your hair in an Afro? It's so beautiful. Your natural hair is beautiful. Or if I'm ever just walking around with my hair out, naturally they're just like oh my gosh it's gorgeous and they don't try to touch it they're just like that's beautiful and I appreciate that I'm just like wow thank you that's just something I'm not used to hearing where I'm from and so I feel wellness in the sense is where I feel like a more accepted person of society here which means I don't have to worry about all the extra stuff I used to have to living in Indiana. I think that that is important with wellness is when you feel more comfortable, you're in a place where you're vibing and you're not having to get fixated on unhealthy thoughts. That is wellness. I would say in France, they really, really focus on your work is not your identity and you disconnect from work when you're not at work and you take vacations. So as someone who's a small business owner, and I come from the ad world, I've been obsessed with work, and I know it's not healthy. And I'm like, oh, I need to you know, change my ways. But even just my husband and his family, we would be laying on the beach. And I'm like, oh, I need to start writing down ideas that I have for something. They're like, no, stop, stop. Just look at the water. And I'm like, okay, okay you have a point. Just look at the water. Just be here and look at the water. And then I'm like, okay, you're right. Stop trying to always find something to do or a way to entertain yourself and just be in the moment and enjoy who you're with and what you're doing. And also they're really about boundaries. I'm learning a lot about boundaries in this season of my life at the moment. And um, over here in France, I think it's illegal for your boss to email you after 8 p.m., which... I used to have bosses emailing me back in the States at 2 a.m. in the morning, and I was like sitting in my bed working. They cannot email you after 8 p.m. here. And I was just like, wow, that is a boundary. And it's really just teaching me about how to just take more joy in the present and just live your life. I asked Jessie where she saw her and her family in the foreseeable future. So our plan while we were in Paris was to move back to the U.S., but I think just... As we got older and really just thought about it, the longer I live over here, the more culturally I feel like I fit over here. And for the time being, I think we're going to just stay in France. We're looking to buy and remodel something. Yeah, I'm really happy. What a fantastic story. Thank you so much, Jesse, for sharing. We had such a lovely time recording. And if you want to keep up with Jesse and her beautiful artwork, you can definitely follow her on Instagram at 
Etta V. That's E-T-T-A-V-E-E. And also her website, www.ettav.com. Thanks again for listening. And I hope to see all of you at the next live Q&A with Jackie O this Sunday. Be sure if you have not signed up for the Flourish in the Foreign Community that you sign up so that I can send you the link to that chat this Sunday. I just am so appreciative of all of you, the beautiful audience that just listen every week and support this podcast. If there's something in particular you would like to see either on the show or within the community, or you just have a suggestion, please feel free to let me know. I am totally open to all suggestions. I'm not saying all of them are going to happen, you know, because I am a one woman show, but I am always interested to hear what you guys have to say. You can always just slide me a DM via Instagram at Flourish Foreign or across any social media. Or you can definitely go to the website, www.flourishintheforeign.com, go to the contact page and drop me a line. Let me know what you're thinking. And again, if you are interested in taking the leap abroad or you're just interested in taking a sabbatical, definitely check out Exodus Summit this week. You can still sign up for the free admission into Exodus Summit. Please use the Flourish in the Foreign link located in all of our social media bios and on the website. And I hope to see y'all there. And if you identify as a woman of color podcaster, maybe you have been podcasting for years. Maybe you just got an idea for a new podcast last week. You will definitely want to check out the WOC Podcasters Insiders Membership. It has been so interesting and so crucial for me as a newbie podcaster. I just started this podcast in May and the podcast has already exceeded over 5,000 downloads and I just launched it in May and WOC Podcasters Insiders membership has definitely helped me to just have like a game plan with the podcast, have a strategy because I didn't have any kind of strategy and I didn't have any kind of game plan, but now I do. And I have a lot of tips and tricks that I'm starting to implement in the marketing of the podcast. So if you have been podcasting for a long time or you are just wanting to try it out, I definitely recommend checking out WOC Podcasters Insiders Membership. Like I said, I'm a member of it, and I think it provides a lot of great information. So if this sounds like something that's interesting to you, please join the membership and use the Flourish in the Foreign affiliate link. It is at no extra cost to you, but it is another way to support this podcast. You can find the link in the show notes on the website and in the link in the bios across social media channels. Thank you to Zachary Higgs, who produced the music of this podcast. Zachary is an exceptional artist and producer. So if y'all need some new music for your YouTube channel, your podcast, maybe your TikTok. I don't know. I don't really know much about TikTok. He is definitely your guy. I will leave all of his information in the show notes as well. That is all for this week. I hope you all take care of yourself. 
Please be gentle with yourself. See you next week. On the next episode of Flourish in the Foreign. So when I was in Nepal, I went to the UNHCR to talk about the research I had done on the IDP camps or refugee camps. And I step into the room and a British friend I made at the NGO where I was based, she wanted to tag along for the day. So she's white. When I walk into the room, I'm ready to sit down and show my research. All their eyes are directed at her. They keep asking her the questions. I keep answering the questions. And it's like, when are these people going to realize that I'm Annabelle and I'm the one doing the research? Because Asia, as much as like, there's no history of enslavement of Africans in Asia under Europeans, but somehow this thing has penetrated every corner of the world. Somehow, in the deep in the Himalayas, when I walk into a room in the UNHCR, when people see me walk in to explain my research, they automatically think it could never be me who is conducting this research. <laughs>